Okay, so the messaging of the resurrection. Uh, before the resurrection, was there messaging about the re- resurrection? And of course, it is alluded to in the Old Testament. Let me read a couple of verses. Job chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Uh, let's remember, Job is a compatriot of who in the biblical timeline? Abraham. Abraham. So we're talking 2200 BC, more or less, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, and he says, And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I don't know about you, but here's a guy, pre-Scripture. I don't even know who wrote the book of Job, but you know Moses comes around way after Job's life, 1500 B.C., and this guy has an understanding that, you know, though my body ultimately perish... Someday I'm going to stand before the Lord, and I'm going to see him with my eyes. Kind of like, wow. Uh, Psalm 1611, this is David. He's somewhere between 940 and 900 uh, years B.C. You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, this wouldn't say so much about Christ's resurrection, same with Job, as much as the human element where we're going to be resurrected and we're going to be in the presence of God. Uh, Psalm seventeen fifteen. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall see. I, I shall be sanctified when I awake in your likeness. Again, the idea that we're going to be resurrected. Uh, Psalm thirty six eight. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you gave them drink from the river of your pleasures. And again, this is the idea of that millennial picture uh, where we get to uh, rule and reign with him. Uh, Psalm 65, 4, Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. And Psalm 84, 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. So it is alluded to in the Old Testament, uh, the resurrection of humans uh, in Psalm 16:10, of course, the fact that the Christ will not uh, see. Uh, um, yeah, was that corruption. corruption? Thank you. I had a D word in my mind and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> okay, uh, of course. Then when we come to the New Testament, we see the Sadducees, and they were sad, you see, because. They didn't believe in anything except for the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. Uh, Matthew twenty-two twenty-three, 23, uh, Mark 12, 18, Luke 20, 27, and Acts 23, 8 all refer to this. Uh, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. Okay, so, and this is where they ask him, about the woman that's married to seven brothers, and each one fails to bring forth offspring to the previous one, and then finally she dies. Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And, of course, Christ uh, corrects some of their thinking, which we'll talk... uh, Well, that's the next point. Jesus' message about the resurrection. resurrection. First of all, the resurrected, according to Matthew 22.30 and Luke 20.35, do not marry. 
Uh, For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Uh, The version that I was looking at actually says that they are equal to angels in Luke 20, 36, uh, which says, Nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So that's what the resurrected people are like. And then number two, things done here will be recompensed after the resurrection, Luke 14, 14, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. This is the idea of lending to someone who can't repay. You should um, lend not expecting it to be returned. It goes on uh, to say, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Or in John 5, 29, And come forth those who have uh, done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So uh, there is going to be a recompense for everything that a person's done uh, after the resurrection. So that's how the Bible has alluded to a resurrection, at least for people, uh, though Christ uh, is talked about also, as we saw last week. Uh, What about uh, the preaching In sermons, what was the messaging of the resurrection? Well, uh, letter A, the responsibility for the resurrection and why. In uh, Acts 2, 24, 32, 3, 15, 26, 4, 10, 5, 30, 10, 40, 13, 23, and 30, each one says that God raised him up. They all talk about his death, but they all talk about God having raised him up. So that's the messaging. That's who's responsible. Why? Well, because he was, according to Acts 13.37, without corruption. Let me read that one for you. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Now, that is talking about the fact that his body didn't decay, but he was also sinless. We know that. Uh, And then also he was ordained to judge Uh, And that's one of the reasons why he was raised again. Acts 17.31, because he, God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this all by raising him from the dead. And then uh, the other verse there, 24.15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Uh, The reason why I put that verse there is, well, there's got to be someone that determines that one's just and another one is unjust. So again, he's been ordained to judge. Letter B, the value of the resurrection. Well, according to Acts uh, 13.23, he is the Savior of Israel. It says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior Jesus. Uh, He also is, uh, the resurrection is proof of sonship. In Acts 13.33, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, And so the resurrection is actually the fulfillment of that verse. Today I have begotten you. That's the day of the resurrection. Okay? So uh, he's, uh, it's proof of his sonship. According to Acts 4.2, it is proof of our resurrection. 
says, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now notice they're not preaching about Jesus' resurrection, but because he rose, the dead will uh, be raised again. And then, of course, the value of the resurrection, it fulfilled prophecy, Acts 2.31. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, quoting Psalm 16.10. So uh, that's how uh, it, you might say it was part of their preaching, but it was also part of their writing. So in that, instead of looking at the book of Acts, we basically look at the rest of the New Testament in uh, the letters of the apostles. Uh, Again, responsibility for the resurrection and why? Well, you see, God is the one responsible or the one that raised Christ up in Romans 4.24. 10.9, 1 Corinthians 6.14, 15.15, Galatians 1.1, Ephesians 1.22.6, uh, I think that's 2 Corinthians 2.12, but that's not really a verse that I wanted you to have. It is 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Uh, sometimes when you're doing cross-references, the one you got it from is uh, comes up there too. So that was my mistake. According to Romans 8.11, though, the Spirit is responsible for the resurrection. So let, let me read a couple of verses for you. Uh, Romans 4.24, But also for us... It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who's him? Well, in the context, it's God. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that uh, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So again, God is the one that did it. Romans 8.11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit. So obviously it's God is in there, but the Holy Spirit is working with Him to bring that resurrection about as well as uh, giving life to your mortal bodies. So the Spirit is given uh, uh, credit also. And why? To prove that He was the Son of God, Romans 1-4. This is a pretty important verse when you think about Uh, the resurrection in that we say that he was God. He died for our sins and everybody wants to leave it there, including Christians. But notice one four. He is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So the fact that he uh, was raised from the dead proves that he is God the Son. Uh, Again, why is this important? Well, Who else has risen from the dead? Only the ones that he raised, right? Uh, We can can talk about the guy that uh, landed on Elisha's bones, but what happened to him thereafter? Well, he died again. You can talk about the people like the the widows of Nain, her son. Jesus raised him up, but he, he died again. Then the only ones you can talk about that stayed alive were the ones that were raised during his a crucifixion. And then he took them to heaven. So those are the, but again, they didn't do it. He did it for them. Where when we talk about his resurrection, it is God that has raised him, the spirit that has raised him. He even said, uh, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. He does not separate himself from the father or the spirit in that sense. 
So it's to prove that he was the Son of God. The value of the resurrection on our behalf. Well, there's a lot here. I'm only going to go through a few. Uh, We're going to really deal with the value of the resurrection uh, next week, Lord willing. Uh, So first of all, you see our justification. Now, uh, when, when we talk about justification of a human being, this is where God is declaring that person to be righteous. If you're an Awana leader, you know in the Sparky books, they actually make you learn the definition of justify or justification. It's where God declares one to be righteous. Uh, so let me read a couple of verses. Romans 4.25, Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification? Now, question, with that in mind, which is more important? They're, they're both important. But if he just died for our sins, and that's the mentality of many Christians, he died for my sins, I have a ticket to heaven. That's what it's all about. He was raised for our justification. Wait a minute. You can't get into heaven without being righteous. Oh. The resurrection all of a sudden is important. See what I'm saying? Because it is through his resurrection that not only does he prove that he is God but, and that sin has been paid for, but when a person puts their faith in him, they become, well, God imputes his righteousness to their account. Therefore, yeah, we have the concept of getting to go to heaven. But if God imputes it to your account, he also expects that your position is uh, going to become reality in your living. Oh, that means I like I have to do something. Yeah, but that's why he gave you his spirit. And again, we'll talk about that uh, next week. Uh, the second uh, value that I immediately thought of was our identification. In Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, that, that one's really clear what the resurrection is really all about. Now, obviously, this is not water baptism. This is spirit baptism. And, and believe me, there are people out there that believe that Romans 6 is water baptism. Sorry, can't go there with you. Okay? Baptism basically means to place into. When, you're, uh, when you uh, baptize, it's a, it's a term that deals with dyeing clothing. Uh, so you put the water in there. You've got the oyster shells or whatever it is that makes it purple. You put the garment in there, and when you take the garment out, it is identified with what was in the water. The garment is purple. Well, the same thing is true with us. When we are identified with Christ through baptism, we're identified into his death. So the old man died, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't he's not still active. It means he no longer has a legal claim on you. You don't got to listen to him. And we're identified in his resurrection for the purpose of, with the ability to, walk in the newness of life. Oh, that's a whole lot different than just having a ticket to go to heaven. Okay? Uh, So our our identification. And believe me, there are plenty of identification uh, verses 
If you're with us on uh, Wednesday night study, the green letters, he talks about in our last uh, two chapters, not the next two coming up, but he talks about the idea that in uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, there's not a command to do a thing. All he talks about is your identification in Christ. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 1, you are a saint, you are faithful. In chapter 4, you're chosen from before the foundations of the world. I mean chapter 1, verse 4. In chapter 1, verse 7, your sins are forgiven. Um, there's like 22 of them in three chapters. That's identification. And it's because you were baptized. You were placed into Christ. Now, that which is true about Him is true about you. That's identification. But then you have fruitfulness. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. For what purpose? That we should bear fruit to God. Of course, you can go to uh, John chapter 15. And uh, you're, uh, he's the vine and we're the branches. The idea is that we're, we're uh, in there and we get all of the life, uh, fruit-producing juices from the vine. And uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. This is what pleases the Father, that you bear fruit and that your fruit multiply. So uh, again, that is the value of the resurrection on our behalf. Uh, our, our resurrection... Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 17, it says, Yes, and we are found, uh, found false witnesses to God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. The argument is that Christ really didn't rise from the dead. Well, if that's true, then we are found uh, false witnesses. So he goes on. Uh, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And of course, if you're in, if he didn't rise, then we're not going to. And if if you would include a resurrection, it's only under condemnation anyway. Okay, and that brings us to our glorification. Uh, reading through uh, the Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer uh, presently, uh, just trying to do two chapters a week because your brain would probably do something like that if you read too much more than that. But um, when we get to the uh, eternity or the, uh, the uh, eternality and the infinity of God, a couple of chapters I read a couple weeks ago, and uh, wow. <laughs> um, you, you think about it, God operates in time where we live, okay? We live in time. And when we try and describe eternity, we use time words. There is no time in eternity. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 28 and 29, all things work together for them that are called, right? Um, those that are called are predestined. Uh, the predestined are justified. Uh, the, ju the justified are glorified. Okay, notice the past tense there. See, for us, we can say, yeah, I'm justified. It happened September 6, 1981. Um, justified. Uh, sanctified's in there too. Um, called, you know, yeah, all that happened back then. Glorified. 
This is me. Glorify. No. No. Not yet. But for God, he lives outside of time. So he is there at the moment of creation. He is there at the end. He sees the completed product. I'm glorified. Again, we think in time, this is outside of time, he's seeing that already. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at okay. That's good enough. But notice our glorification in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, uh, 2 to 44. So also is the resurrection, a resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is, all, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, some people would want to think that, ooh, this is where we get the idea of ghosts, this spiritual body. Ooh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, Right? But that doesn't mean we're not going to have a body. We're not going to be a, a disemboweled spirit or anything like that, uh, a disembodied spirit. Uh, so uh, notice in verse 52, In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Uh, when Christ was raised, did he have a spiritual body? Yeah, he walked through walls. Uh, the disciples were in a locked room, and he just appears there. Okay? And at the same time, he ate fish with them. He told them, put your finger in my hand, put your hand in my side. So he's not a ghost. He said that he was flesh and bone. He didn't say flesh and blood. So there's obviously some kind of a physical difference, but it's considered a spiritual body. So all of that to say that our glorification comes because of Christ's resurrection. And then, of course, the power to live. been saying this for a while, and, and I think some of you get it. I, I don't know that everybody gets it. Um, good works. We've been saved unto good works. And so what do we do? Well, we volunteer at church. We become Awana leaders. We become... Uh, American Heritage Girls, uh, Trail Life Leaders. Uh, we do all kinds of good things. Yeah, problem is, is you can't do any good. Yeah, but I'm saved. Exactly. You're saved. You're a new person. You have the Spirit of God in you to get anything done that has any eternal value. And so notice uh, Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection. Now, notice he's talking about the power to live the way God wants me to live, right here and now. I want to know him so much that I understand this concept of the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If anyone's going to follow me, he's got to take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me being conformed to his death. It's not about me. It's about him. So the power to live the life that God has called us to live. Also, the value of the resurrection, our hope. 
2 Timothy 2.8, Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Why does he need to remember that? Well, let's read a a few more verses. Hebrews 11.35, Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. I'm going to live for Christ. Why? Somehow there's value in the type of resurrection you experience by living for Him compared to not living for Him. Hmm. Going to have to study that one a little bit. In fact, if you go back to Philippians 3.10 there, the next verse, he talks about obtaining uh, to the resurrection of the dead. It's kind of like, wait a minute, Paul. What do you mean by that? Because you're going to be raised from the dead. You said so. It seems as though there's more to it than that, and I'm not studied up enough on it yet to tell you, but there seems to be some different levels of this concept of the resurrection, and uh, we'll have to look into that. First Peter one twenty one, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is a great verse for those that want to get caught up in Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Again, doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. There's no hope in Joe Biden. Though we may agree with the policies of Donald Trump, if God says, okay, that's it for this country, can we say that there's no hope in Donald Trump either? No. Our hope is in the Lord, as the song says. And, uh, It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way we think it ought to, but it is going to work out, and ultimately we're going to be uh, with Him. So that's uh, the value of the resurrection, our hope. The next part is what we're going to expand on a little bit more next week, the promise of the Holy Spirit. First of all, uh, when, when we talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit, the first question that I had was, where's the promise? Well, let's consider the Old Testament promise. Uh, through his major prophets, we have Isaiah 44.3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessings on your offering, offspring. Ezekiel 36.25-27. This is Ezekiel's version of the New Covenant. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. You might remember John chapter 3, that a man has to be born of water and of the Spirit. This is the water that he's talking about. He's not talking about natural birth compared to spiritual birth. He's talking about, I will pour water on him. Uh, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, cause you, catch that word, cause, cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. On the way to Blues Creek this morning, I always listen to either 91.5 or 89.3, just a little spiritual edification on the way there. And, uh, one of the guys, this was Calvary Chapel's channel 89.3, which I don't agree with everything that's there, but there's still some good preachers over there. Well, they, they uh, had a question and answer time, and lady said, you know, some of my friends say you can lose your salvation. What do you think? 
And he went on and explained why he didn't believe you could lose your salvation, but you could walk away from it. And I'm sitting there going, uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> do you not understand the promises of the new covenant? You are a new person. Okay, you've got a new heart. You've got a new spirit. God writes his laws on that heart. He puts his spirit in you to cause you to walk in his ways. 1 John 3, 9, if anyone is born of God, he does not, as a way of life, commit sin. He can't because God's seed is in him. Kind of like, no. In fact, 1 John 2, 19, if anyone leaves, it proves they weren't one of us because if they were of us, they certainly would have remained. Now, did I get a little hot about that? <laughs> but again, that's all part of the new covenant, which it's in the Old Testament. As Christians, we're not going to read the Old Testament. It doesn't have anything to do with us. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, it's got a lot to do. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Yes, I know it's for the Jews. It's part of the blessings of Abraham to us Gentiles. Okay? And so when you see what God is saying, part of it is going to be he's going to pour out his spirit. How about Isaiah 52, 15? So shall he sprinkle many nations... Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Jeremiah 33, 8. I will cleanse them from their iniquity, which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned, by which uh, they have transgressed against me. Uh, that is the concept of cleansing that comes with the new covenant, the Holy Spirit. How about the concept of unity? Jeremiah uh, 32, 39, then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart of flesh uh, of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments to do them that they may be my people and I will be their God. Uh, now, I said unity, the concept of one heart. They're in agreement. As, as a nation, we can't continue to go after the idols and that kind of a thing. And then, of course, what about his minor prophets? Uh, I guess I missed a couple of verses there, Ezekiel 37, 14 and uh, 39, 29. Uh, you can look those up at your leisure. Uh, Joel 2, 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Zechariah 12, 10. <coughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> And I will pour out on the house of David <clears throat> and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on him, me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So you see that in the uh, major and the minor prophets, there's the promise that the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on them. Now, in all of them, he's dealing uh, almost specifically with Israel, 
But that brings us to Jesus' references of the promise. Uh, Letter A, his promise referring to the promise found in Luke 24, 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So ultimately he's saying, I'm going to send the Spirit that God promised to send. And then, of course, in John 14, 16, Jesus' prayer. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you until the next time you do something really bad. No, forever. Again, can you lose your salvation? Now, can you walk away and wander for a little bit? Sure enough, but if you belong to him, the Spirit is going to bring you back, chastisement, etc., all righty. Uh, so that, uh, and then of course the exhortations to wait to receive it in Acts chapter one and verse four. He says, "And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me.'" So Jesus is talking about the promises that were in the Old Testament, and uh, he. Uh, makes reference to them several times there. In number three here, we have Jesus' promise of the Spirit. In John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Uh, 15, 26, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send you uh, to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Notice the promise of the Spirit is dependent upon his leaving, is going away. It's not dependent upon his dying. Though he does die, he has to rise again to leave so that he can send the Spirit. And so the fulfillment of the sending of the Spirit, well, first of all, it is through the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. This is Peter preaching. Uh, The Spirit of God has come upon them. They're speaking in other languages, declaring the wonders of God. People, Jewish people that are from other countries are there. They're hearing the wonders of God in their own language. And initially they're going, these guys are like drunk or something. And Peter says, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Give us a break, you know. (laughs) Uh, But uh, he explains why uh, they can do that. Um, Let me see. I don't have 530. Yes, there it is. Uh, Him God has exalted to his right hand being uh, to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So again, it's through his exaltation that the Spirit comes. Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Hebrews 12, 10. But this man 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. So again, the Spirit comes through his exaltation. And then, of course, in uh, the book of Acts, we see the expansion of the church into other ethnic groups. In Acts chapter 8, you might remember that Philip went up to Samaria. And he starts telling everybody uh, the gospel, and a bunch of Samaritans get saved. Now, what do the Jews think about the Samaritans? Yeah, half-breed, no good, you know, whatevers. And uh, so he uh, sends a telegram down to uh, Jerusalem. Telegraph was already set up over there. Uh, sends a telegram down to Jerusalem says, Hey, guys, you want to come up here because something's happening that... Uh, I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. So... Uh, Peter and one of the other apostles goes up, and sure enough, uh, they lay hands on him, and boom, something happens that convinces them, yeah, these guys are in too. Now, I personally think, though, it does not say that there, that they spoke in tongues. Why? Because the other two groups that needed to come in line with the gospel spoke in tongues. So I think that that's exactly what happened in uh, Samaria. And of course, the second group is found in Acts chapter 10. Uh, verse, uh, the v- verse we're going to look at here is 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, what is the indication that the Spirit of God came upon them? Well, they spoke in tongues. In fact, Peter goes on to say in Acts chapter 11, when the Jews confronted him about going into a Gentile's home, he explains to him the whole dream thing with the uh, sheet that came down, unclean animals, rise up, kill and eat. What God has called clean, don't you call unclean? And then he says, so I went, and uh, as soon as I started preaching the gospel, uh, they, the, they received the Spirit just like we did when we first believed. Well, when did they first believe? To the point of being saved, Acts chapter 2. But you can go back to John chapter 2, and they believed. John chapter 4, they believed. John chapter uh, 5, 6, they believed. They believed a whole mess of times until they received the Spirit. And that's when Peter recognizes we're saved, okay? When they received the Spirit. So uh, the Spirit has been given to the Gentiles, This is proof to the believing church, the Jews that were unbelieving, that yes, even Gentiles can be saved. So that brings us to the work of the Spirit. Again, this is where we're going to expand things a little bit next uh, week. First of all, according to John 16, 13, which I already read for you, uh, but I'll read it again, he leads, and I put believers here into truth. But I'm going to say he leads people into truth, and I'll explain why in just a moment. Uh, John 16, 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So obviously this is what the Spirit of God is going to do for the disciples. These are believers. He's going to lead them into truth, uh, let them know about things that maybe they hadn't been uh, informed about yet. Uh, I think it's in John chapter 13 or 14 where Jesus says that the Spirit is going to come and convict the world of sin, 
of righteousness and of judgment. Well, he convicts them of guilt. Whole point being is, he's leading an unbeliever into truth. The truth about his need, God's provision. See what I'm saying? So the Spirit of God is, uh, he leads people into truth. Uh, 16, 13, uh, specifically dealing with uh, uh, leading believers into truth. But he does lead unbelievers into truth also. If it's not him doing the work, uh, would we come to the truth? You see what I'm saying? He also seals believers. Uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty two uh, says, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Um, the word guarantee here is the Spirit is a down payment on our salvation. A down payment is given uh, to guarantee that the rest of the payments are going to be made. Uh, most of us know how that works with a house or a car, that kind of a thing. Uh, the Spirit is God's down payment saying, the person that has the Spirit... I guarantee I am going to bring them to the point of fulfilling all of my promises of his salvation in time. Okay? But uh, the, he seals us with the Spirit. And in uh, Ephesians 1.13, In him you also trusted, speaking of Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God not only baptizes them into the body of Christ, places them into the body of Christ, but He seals them there. Now, I don't know about you, but if I need to get out of this room right now, I know of one, two, three, four, five, five different exits. I didn't know how to get into the body of Christ. And since it's an invisible organism... I don't know that I could even accidentally stumble upon an exit. You see what I'm saying? He seals you in there. If you're a Star Trek fan, Larry, um, it, it's, the, it's the shield that prevents the bullets from coming in or from something getting out, that, that kind of a thing. Uh, so just saying. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Got into a little discussion when I was down in Brazil with uh, many of the SIL missionaries. Uh, the SIL missionaries come from a variety of background churches. And uh, just about every one of them believed that you could lose your salvation. And so we, they asked me to come in and teach New Testament uh, survey. And so I did so for the high school kids. And one of the topics that got talked about was <sighs> security of the believer. And we got into this verse. And mine says, you were sealed for the day of redemption. And they said, yeah, but the, the preposition is wrong. It could be unto. So, they mean the same thing. You're sealed inside of this believing body until for this point. You can't get out. Okay? And uh, yeah, uh, people are funny when it comes to we want to believe something that this seems to say, no, that's not right. Uh, oh, well. Uh, so he seals believers. Now, uh, 
one of the things I appreciated, a few months back, Pastor talked about the Holy Spirit, and he said, look, God made man and woman in his image. The Holy Spirit seems to be the feminine side, not that God is feminine, because of course the Holy Spirit is called he, but the, the feminine attributes that you find in a woman, but not necessarily in a man, that's where the Holy Spirit is. Uh, Lynn was telling me the other day about a survey that had been done among men and women. Which is more important, to be respected or to be loved? Exactly. It was just about 90% of men, they could live in an unloving relationship as long as they were respected. Women, it was exactly the opposite. They could put up with disrespect as long as they were loved, which I'm not sure you can do that, disrespect and love. I I know what they mean, though. Um, But the whole point being is, how do we deal with God? God is to be worshipped. He is to be respected and feared. Interesting. Women operate much more according to their emotional side. That's not to put them down. That's the way God made them. Look at what it says right there. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Is God grieved? Yeah, I'm sure He is. But the Holy Spirit, we see, you can grieve Him, you can quench Him. I mean, you can do a lot of things that it's not talked about so much about God. God gets angry because of lack of respect, okay? But uh, you can see the feeling orientation here a little bit more. And that doesn't in any way make the Holy Spirit lesser than God the Father, God the Son. It's just that aspect of uh, what Pastor had taught a couple of uh, months back, and just see it there. So uh, he seals us. And then, of course, he baptizes believers into the body of Christ. I probably should have uh, switched those two as far as order goes. But in John one thirty three, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So obviously speaking of Christ, but... Uh, in Acts chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, this is that third group of people that end up speaking in tongues. It's uh, disciples of John. Paul comes upon them, and he said to them, Into what, then, were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And then he lays hands on them, and they start speaking in tongues, having received the Spirit, uh, and therefore they were baptized in, uh, by the Spirit into the body at that point. Romans 6.3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and, of course, his resurrection we see later. 1 Corinthians 12.13, For by one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. And then Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we are identified with him. 
with his death, burial, resurrection, with his righteousness, uh, with being sanctified, totally separated unto God, etc. And uh, that brings us to our final point. This work of the Spirit is to transform believers. Now, why is this important to know? Well, in all of our relationships, we try and change people. We know how people ought to be, and they really should listen to us. Wives, you try and do it to your husbands. We don't talk too much about it, but even husbands do it to their wives. And of course, we definitely want to do it to our children. We want them to change. We want them to be what we think they should be. Yeah, exactly. There's someone chuckled in the back. Whole point being is you cannot change someone else. Now, you might be able to manipulate them. You might be able to get them to do things so you'll get off their case, whatever the case may be. That does not change their heart. They may adjust their behavior, but it doesn't change their heart. Think in the Old Testament with me in the book of Proverbs, somewhere around Proverbs 24. All of a sudden, God starts talking about, you know, it is better to live on the corner of a housetop than with a contentious woman. And it says that several different times. It talks about her being like a dripping faucet. And I'm sitting there going, I'm doing marriage counseling. These guys are ding-dongs. The women have every reason to complain. And then I studied 1 Peter 3. If your husband doesn't obey the word, he's not doing the things he ought to be doing in the husbandly manner. If he won't be one with the word, in other words, if you can't talk, him, talk to him and help him understand these things, you know what you need to do? Concentrate on being the woman that you're supposed to be. Because your hope is in God, not in a changed husband, not in a changed child. In doing marriage counseling with a man who's, he wants to do it right, she's not convinced yet. You know what I've told him? You concentrate on being the man you're supposed to be. Why? The principle is that if anybody's going to be changed, it's going to be by God. And he does it through people, but not because they said so. It's because they lived it. Okay? So uh, our verse here, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now he's talking about looking into the Word of God. And the Word of God is called a mirror. But what are we looking at in there? Well, you can actually see two sides of this whole thing, where you're getting to see where you get to see Jesus Christ. You also get to see where you don't measure up. So that you'll finally submit yourself to the work of the Spirit. Because you can't even change you. Okay? So we're beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from glory to glory, becoming more and more like Him, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So He transforms believers. He's the one that changes us. Uh, Very often, this is why we uh, tell, especially husbands, (laughs) but wives also, got to get into the Word. 
It is the work of the Spirit. Uh, it is a work that He started at your salvation and will not finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. But if things need to be changed, He'll point them out if you're listening. Okay? Uh, we've talked about how many times we go through the same trial over and over and over again. Why? Because we didn't see the need to change. We approach those problems the same way every single time. And then somewhere in the rush, the Spirit of God goes, here, let me help. And we go, oh, yeah, I guess I handled that wrong. Yeah, exactly. Now let's start working on it together. But how are you going to do that? You receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. That verse is written to save people, which is able to transform you, make you into the person that God wants you to be, so that the next time that trial comes up, you're better equipped, better prepared. Okay, questions, thoughts about he's raised from the dead. Now, the gospel is that Christ, the one that God said was coming, he came, he became flesh, lived the perfect life, always did that which pleased the Father. He died for our sins. Why? Because of our sins, there wasn't anything we could do to please God. And he took on our sins and paid the price of condemnation, if you will. Separated from God, exactly how that whole thing works out, I don't know. Okay, don't understand it. But he has paid in full the price that we would have been uh, had to pay. And then he was buried and he rose again, just like God said he would. He rose again. And now when we put our trust in who he is and all that he's done, he saves us. He gives to us the gift of eternal life. His spirit comes in, lives within us, and starts changing us and makes us more like Christ. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a transformation that starts, continues, and has a finish. When we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Not until. Now, why would I have to say that? Because we get comfortable with how we think we're doing, and we plateau. And every now and again, God has to remind us, no, the work isn't finished. How does he do that? We normally fall on our faces. Something happens where we recognize, yeah, I still need to believe the gospel still need to believe that he's my only way of getting through this his way. Let's close in prayer and we'll let you go. Father, thank you again for your love and care for us for the gospel. Thank you that you have brought us from being enemies to being those who fear you, respect you. And though you're still working on us because there's still an awful lot of things that attract us, we're kind of like fish with lures out there, uh, we just pray, Father, that you might continue through your Spirit to guide and direct us into truth, that it becomes a part of our lives, and that we live it out in such a way that a lost and dying world would see light. They would see Jesus Christ, and that some might come and say, why are you like that? And then, Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom in how we present uh, the truth of the gospel, so that they too might come to know him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.